0: Hello and welcome, everybody. I love to talk about food, so I'm definitely thrilled about today's guest, nutritionist Laura Moretti-Reese. A focus on the conversation is proper fueling, which I've been thinking about because of runner Mary Kane's recent opinion video in the New York Times. A link to that, along with other articles and women Laura mentions, are in the show notes at hearhersports.com. And speaking about food, today's episode is brought to you by Sufferfest Beer, founded and led by female athlete Caitlin Landisberg. Born out of the needs of athletes, Sufferfest beer is created with ingredients that go the extra mile. Wanting to celebrate her finish line moments, Caitlin was searching for a beer that had great flavor without compromising her autoimmune disease. So she took matters into her own hands and spent years developing the beer that she wanted to see in the world. Sufferfest beer is gluten removed with ingredients that hustle hard. Try Sufferfest Head Start Stout, brewed with coconut water and equator coffee giving you the sweetness and balance you crave without the added sugar. The FKT Pale Ale has ingredients like black cherry currant and sea salt, best enjoyed at a sweaty finish line. Sufferfest beer is inspired by athletes and adventurers. Definitely check out their website at Sufferfestbeer.com for profiles of the Sufferfest athletes and descriptions of all their beers. Plus under the news tab, I just noticed they have a recipe for Stolen made with the Head Start Stout. And now onto the show. Today's guest is Laura Moretti-Reese. Laura is a certified specialist in sports dietetics, currently part of the female athlete program and sports medicine orthopedics team at Boston Children's Hospital. Laura specializes in sports, performance-based nutrition, treating low energy availability, disordered eating, and eating disorders in athletes. She has extensive experience consulting and collaborating with Olympic and professional athletes, colleges and universities, as well as professional sport and dance facilities. She's also the consulting dietitian for the Boston Ballet Company and schools and U.S. rowing. Laura is an athlete herself. She is a competitive triathlete and a three-time Boston Marathon qualifier and finisher. Welcome, Laura. Thank you so much, excited to be here. Well, thank you so much for being here. I've really been looking forward to starting a discussion about proper fueling for
1: performance. I'm always happy to talk about that.
0: (laughs) I don't want to get too basic, but maybe let's start with an introduction of what you mean by fueling so that we're all on the same page
1: before we get going. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I specifically choose that word. I love to use that word with my clients because when we're thinking about, you know, putting nutrition into the body. I like to just think of it more as, you know, fueling the body instead of just saying things like eating. And even I don't use the word calories very often in my practice either. Hmm. I really think about nourishment and energy. And I really do speak about food more in terms of of energy. So when you think about it, instead of just eating and taking in calories, it's putting energy in your body to really fuel you. So I, I use a car metaphor a lot with my clients. So right if you're if you're going to drive a car across the country you're going to have to stop a few times for gas so you know the more you're driving the car the more fuel you're going to have to put into the body so it tends to sit well with clients of all ages so that's yeah when i say fueling i really do mean properly nourishing the body but i just prefer that choice of wording
0: you said you don't talk about calories do you also not talk about weight <sighs>
1: I try not to. I mean, it's, you know, there's obviously certain instances where weight is going to have to enter the conversation, but that is typically more in terms of if a patient is underweight, right? Or if we're really seeing symptoms like amenorrhea or low body fat, we sometimes do need to have weight enter the discussion a bit, but it is it is very much in a very clinical sense. I weigh all of my patients blindly. So a lot of my patients don't know what their weight is. Mm. Um, it is one aspect of the work. It is not something that is a major focus or a lot of times I might know the weights, but I'm not always communicating those to the clients. And that is for a very you know clinical reason because weight and numbers carry so much, to use the word again, so much weight for people. And it's not really where I want to be putting the focus. Right, right.
0: And I want to acknowledge that an impetus to have you on the show was Mary Kane's recent, really Mm. heartbreaking New York Times opinion video, in which she revealed all the abuse she experienced in relation to losing weight. Right. What
1: was your reaction to that? I got to tell you, I was, first of all, I think Mary is so incredibly brave. Yeah. To come out and speak against you know this this huge huge running program this huge conglomerate and share the struggles and and just share her story too those are such personal and you know details that people often don't want to put out to the public so i had i had such a mix of emotions i have to tell you i watched i watched the video i would say probably at least four or five times the, the day it came out and every time it I teared up
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I had goosebumps. It was it was so powerful to me, just her bravery and the magnitude of what she was saying. And I knew as soon as that happened, it was really going to blow the door wide open. And I had a feeling and a hope that others would come forward, which is what happened. Right. So, you know, just utmost respect and, and really just emotions, like anything you could possibly imagine, I think I felt that day.
0: Mm-hmm. It really surprised yeah. me that there was no nutritionist on staff. I know just I mean like oh my gosh
1: (laughs) I know I know people do not realize and I think this is something that I mean again Mary coming forward and really talking about this and sharing her story I was actually aware that that program did not have a dietitian um we've had overlap at children's with with some athletes in that program and I remember when I first found that out I was I was shocked um you know that you're working with these elite of the elite athletes And to not have someone there to guide their nourishment and their training multiple times a day, hours a day. I mean, what we do, I always say, you know, nutrition is, it's a science. It's not an opinion. That's one of my favorite taglines, but you know, that's what registered dietitians and, and sports dietitians like that's what we're here for. I mean, colleges, youth programs, carry dietitians. So to think about this super elite program not having an expert on staff, when they have all the resources to do so, it's its pretty shot. And sports psychology as well. I think the right, fact that right. there was no sports dietitian or sports psychologist is, you know, it makes me question, like, why? Why is there not someone, you know?
0: Well, that was my question, too, because as you pointed out, it's not like they didn't have the money yeah. for it. So they were making a conscious
1: decision not to have somebody. Exactly. And I've worked with smaller programs, youth sports, school teams, club teams, and they find a way. Uh, I do a lot of pro bono work too here and there, but they find a way to bring a sports dietitian in to at least give a lecture because they realize there's so many coaches out there in programs that really do realize the value of education around fueling and nutrition for their athletes. So the fact that again, this huge program that definitely knows about sports dietitians not having someone on staff is, is shocking to me. Right, right.
0: Okay, so we now have an extraordinary example of how not to do it. What's the proper way for female athletes to fuel for their
1: sport? Yes, number one, getting enough fuel into the body. I mean, nutrition is such a stigmatized topic. And there is so much misinformation social media. You know, I was watching this morning, the the today show, and they're doing a feature on ketogenic diets. And I, I, I literally cringe my skin crawls when, when I see all these diet fads that that are in the news, because, you know, I feel like athletes too are just such a population that is so susceptible to a lot of this information that's out there, because what are athletes always trying to do to gain an edge right? To get faster, to get stronger. So when you don't have that resource there to sort of clarify and say to you, this is what your body really needs. And a lot of the times what I see in, I mean, we are an extraordinarily busy clinic, you know, day in and day out. And one of the major things I see with, I mean, male and female athletes is under fueling. So there's just this general lack of knowledge of how much nutrition the body actually requires for training. So I think number one is learning about what does the body actually need and really what is that balance, you know, of nutrients, right? I think carbohydrates are also something that are chronically underfueled in, in athletes. I've met with a lot of professional and elite athletes that come in and I, I I'm kind of surprised when you hear what they're eating, you know, especially for more aerobic athletes, a lot of our runners are, are endurance athletes. Carbohydrates really form the basis of their diet. But again, it's a stigmatized nutrient in the media.
0: Oh, they're totally the bad guy right now. Right?
1: I just bought my colleague a shirt for, actually, it ties in because it's Picky Bars, Lauren Fleischman's company, and, and her husband, and it says, I love carbs. And I'm like, I'm trying to like, you know, get out there and really change the message around things. So I, I love that they created that shirt. You know, again, every diet is always trying to get rid of them,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: especially for an athlete, They're so essential to performance and all the research still really points in that direction that adequate carbohydrate stores and intake equal better performance. And I think the other aspects of sports nutrition, which are timing. I had an athlete who had just signed a professional contract and came into my office. We're going through what she's eating and she was going through timing of her workouts and when she was fueling. And I said, well, has anyone ever spoken to you? about recovery, nutrition and the timing after a workout. And she said, no. Wow. Right. I know I was like, you know, trying to keep my jaw from hitting the floor, but (laughs) you know, like the simple things is timing, which I talk to my 10 year old athletes that come in about, you know, they could give a lecture on it. So it's not just the amount of food you're getting in. It is the balance of it. And it really is a lot about timing too, for athletes
0: you talked about carbs. So can you define what you mean by carbs? And also if you break it down into sort of subcategories of carbs?
1: Sure. Sure. Absolutely. So carbohydrates in general, they're, they're sugars, right? They're sugars in the body. So pretty much what we think of when I'm saying carbohydrates, I am thinking of, we'll break it down. Starchy foods would be one category of them, right? Which then has subcategories. So your breads, your pastas, Your rice, your crackers, your oatmeal, what else I'm sure I'm missing? There's plenty of them. So basically within that category, you have the slower digesting carbohydrates and you have the faster digesting ones. So the slower digesting carbohydrates are the ones that contain more fiber, right? Or the quote unquote brown carbohydrates that we usually think of their whole grain breads, whole wheat pastas, even things like beans, which also have protein, also contain carbohydrates and a lot of fiber. I don't believe in good and bad foods, so I think that there's a time and a place for certain foods. So our, our slower digesting carbs, we like to encourage those more at mealtime. They're, they're good for satiety. They're giving you nutrients. Fiber is super important for healthy digestion. And those faster digesting carbohydrates are the ones that contain less fiber in them. So those, I think, are really the ones that get the bad rap, like the, the white breads, the white pastas. And like I say to all my clients, I would never, ever, ever, ever say to someone like, you cannot eat white pasta. I always say I grew up in a half Italian household and, you know, pasta has always been a staple in my life. I eat white pasta. I eat a whole wheat pasta. It just depends on my mood. But the, those faster digesting carbohydrates, which also include things that you think of like more of the simple sugar. So things that like honey or jelly or maple syrup, foods that everyone thinks so those are high sugar foods, right? Those are actually really great foods that I use a lot with my athletes, especially if someone has very high carbohydrate needs, someone like a marathon runner, you know, even rowers in higher volume training, triathletes, the carbohydrate contents that they need in their diet are really high. So to avoid, you know, having them just need to eat, you know, mountains of pasta and bread and rice, I do use a lot of those simpler carbohydrates too, to really boost their carbohydrate intake and help them meet their needs without giving them you know, digestive issues. They're also really helpful, like around sports. So right before a workout, you don't want a super high fiber meal. Cause again, that could cause digestive upset. I get asked all the time, like, well, if I'm going to the gym or I'm going out on a run, like what's something, if it's 20 minutes before, what do I grab? And that's where we're going for those simpler carbohydrates. Maybe it's, you know, um, oh gosh, there could be so many things like a granola bar, not a protein bar. Mm-hmm fruits also fall into a carbohydrate category as well. So that's sort of another subcategory. And those are actually well they can be sort of slow digesting or or faster digesting cuz fruits are pretty high in, in fiber too depending on the on the fruit we're talking about. Right.
0: So basically depending on the timing you could eat you know like a whole yeah. range of carbohydrates.
1: Yeah. Absolutely and I and I encourage that too. I encourage a lot of variety in the diet. Right.
0: How does an athlete learn how to properly fuel? Like what tools are you providing?
1: I mean, it's different for different, for different people. I will certainly say that I am big on education. So typically the first time I meet with someone after we kind of understand a little bit more about their goals and how I can help them with that, I really want to educate someone. So I don't want to just give someone information. I want them to understand the whys. So I always say, you know, that, uh, what's that proverb, right? Teach, teach a man to fish and and he can feed himself for a lifetime. Um, so it kind of really works actually when I say when I say it out loud. Uh, <laughs> yes, feed yourself, exactly. So I want to teach them just like we, you know, talked a bit about carbohydrates. What I do is go through like, let's make sure we're on the same page with things because what I find is, you know, I work with really some very, very brilliant clients, but people don't necessarily understand what's the difference between, you know, a carbohydrate. Is this food a protein? What does protein do? What does fat do? So I go through some of the basics and then I tie it into performance. So I really want to give an athlete an understanding of what are the food groups and how do they help me as an athlete? So we go through, I typically go through some PowerPoint slides. I'm a super visual learner, so I tend to use that sometimes with with my clients. I use a lot of diagrams. I have a really great one on like timing, so it's sort of this spectrum that shows, you know, the closer you get to a workout, what's the balance of nutrients that you should be taking in? And when you're farther out from a workout, what does the balance look like then, right? So the closer you get to a workout, the more you want to focus just on carbohydrates, not on the fats and the proteins, because again, digestive issues. We talk a lot about digestive issues in sports <laughs> and nutrition. So it's a pretty high percentage of athletes with that struggle with digestive issues. I'm, the, I'm that person. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, maybe we should have you come in, Elizabeth. You know, yeah. <laughs> But it is a whole, you know, that's I mean, the, the research points to that, too, that there's been research showing that 50 percent of endurance athletes experience GI distress. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's a whole other specialty within itself, too. Yeah. And I use a tool. It's a, it's a really great tool that the uh, U.S. Olympic Committee dietitians created. It's called the Athletes Plate. So it's like a three-plate model that very visually breaks down a very visual representation of what might a plate look like when you're in a race day, when you're in heavy training, when you're in light training, or maybe you're injured. And these plates basically shift the amount of carbohydrates that are on them, the amount of vegetables. So again, I'm going to get into kind of the the deeper nitty-gritty with that. But depending on the client, depending on what they need, it can be a really great tool to start the discussion and to say, look, even when you are injured or maybe you're not able to to train as much, none of the food groups disappear off the plate. We're not removing carbohydrates because you're injured. We might be changing the percentage because if you're running 80 miles a week versus being injured and maybe just doing a little bit of cross training, your body's not going to need the same mix of fuel. So everybody who sees that plate, <laughs> those plates in my office always ask for a copy. Oh, so yeah. I've been told that's hanging in dorm rooms, in athletic trainers' offices, but, you know, the U.S. Olympic Committee dietitians who are just awesome, that was a really great tool they created. So that's a favorite of mine, too.
0: Are your athletes tracking? Are you recommending tracking? And and what does that mean? Like, what are they tracking?
1: Good question. Yeah. Again, as you know, my stance on on calories. Right. No, I really like to steer my athletes away from, you know, the real hard set calorie tracking. I will have athletes track just like write down their food or I use through my private practice. I work with a online platform that I use that can allow athletes to either just take a picture of their meal or they, they can write what they've had. But I, it doesn't do calories. Mm-hmm. So I can take a look at the plate. Look at the mix of nutrients, and then I'll have them write down how did you feel during your workouts? We're using performance markers. I like to focus on performance. It's definitely variable. Sometimes with some of my more elite athletes, we will work a little bit with macronutrient ranges, but that is a really sticky, people get really um, attached to those. So I'm not a big fan of like counting macros. Again, if it's someone that has eating disorder tendencies, I'm avoiding this altogether. Right. But sometimes there is a little bit of tracking, but I never recommend an athlete uses like a MyFitnessPal or something like that, because what I've found in my experience is that it causes more under fueling than adequate fueling.
0: If the aim is to balance input, meaning what you're eating yep. with output, meaning your exercise, how are you able to do that just intuitively? And I ask that mostly because my intuition is really terrible. <laughs>
1: So again, that's where I come in. Um, And typically if I'm creating a meal plan for an athlete, I'm crunching all the numbers behind Mm -hmm. the scenes, right? So I know the macronutrients I'm recommending. I will give ranges, let's say for like a pre or post workout, because there are very specific ranges that are recommended. Like the recovery window recommends a four to one ratio of carbohydrates to protein within 45 minutes of completion of a workout. So that usually ends up being around 10 to 20 grams of protein, maybe 40 to 50 grams of carb. So in those instances, I might be getting a little more nitty gritty and actually giving those numbers to an athlete. But the plans that I am creating, I've done all the math in the background. I know the range of macronutrients I'm recommending. I know the range of proteins. I basically say I do the numbers and I translate it into actual food for my clients. Mm -hmm. So they are getting the science behind it without actually having to sit there and, and calculate, okay, did I get this many grams of protein? I mean, there's always exceptions to the rule, Elizabeth, I will say that there's certain people that, you know, it's not an obsession for them. There's not an eating disorder pathology that's present or that's been there, but there are definitely sports dietitians out there that are much more numbers focused. But I feel like a lot of the time I have people coming in and I'm sort of undoing some of that pathology that's developed sometimes. Mm people get too attached to the numbers that they're not listening to what their bodies are actually telling them anymore.
0: It sounds like you're incredibly involved. I mean, on a very day to day basis.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I am. I am. My schedule's a little crazy. A lot of times in the beginning, it's, it's more labor intensive, right. right? Well, someone's getting the hang of it, or if they're switching between, oh, times of the year training cycles, while we're trying to figure out like, what's the right Balance for them at this time of the year. But a lot of times, once an athlete really gets the hang of what feels good for them. And again, nutrition is a science, but I always say, like, the caloric amounts, like, you do not need to hit those so exactly on the nose. Like, you know, you have wiggle room with nutrition. So I don't want someone to be so obsessive about it that they're needing to weigh their food out or things like that, because, you know, I want them to listen to their bodies too. And if you're 100 calories off, it's not going to make a difference. Right, right. I'm sort
0: of going back to the Mary Kane video. Yeah. One of the things yep. that I really liked that she said was, you know, she's not denying that there's a power to weight race you in sports. Right. So right. How, how do you right. deal with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I do think this matters with the level of the athlete that sure. you're working with. Sure. Definitely in running and cycling and rowing, uh, triathlon. It's, it is something that we do need to be focusing on as well. And again, this is a place where a lot of times I will do some testing, like if we do a DEXA scan, the bone density scan, we can see body fat, we can see muscle mass. So it'll show us not only in athletes how how thick and strong their bones are, which again ties very much into the Mary Kane story. It also gives us a breakdown. Not all machines do this. The company and the, and the machine that we use at Boston Children's Hospital does a beautiful, beautiful job of giving us an accurate picture of how much Body fat is on an athlete's body, you know, versus their muscle mass. And we use that a lot to basically not only see what's going on with an athlete's bone density, but more so, is there an adequate amount of body fat in order to support healthy menstruation, healthy bone formation? But it does also give us that glimpse into, you know, is it safe, you know, if an athlete comes in to optimize that? Body composition, is this safe to help them do that? Or is this a person that has very low body fat and that's going to be counterproductive? Right. So in the case of Mary Kane, she Mary Kane lost her her menstrual cycle for, I believe it was three years. And that was a result of she was in a calorie deficit. So she was in an energy deficit. Because she was restricting her food to try and achieve a lower body weight, which inevitably what that did was also weaken her bones and caused her to develop five bone stress injuries. Right. So that connection between nutritional intake, menstrual cycle, bone health, and also, I mean, a whole host of other systems in the body. So I should introduce the term. Reds are relative energy deficiency in sport, which is this interconnectivity between nutritional intake. So, getting enough nutrition in to to cover your energy expenditures. And basically, if an athlete falls into a low energy state, there is a whole host of systems that are affected, not just bones and hormonal system, but also psychological, which which Mary spoke about as well, right? Depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, gastrointestinal system, circulatory system, like everything in the body is affected when the body is in a low energy state. All our bodies are different, right? And some people, as we know, carry more muscle on them, right? I've had athletes come in and say, well, like, I have to get lighter, I have to get lighter. And we look at their body fat and their muscle. And they, I'm like, you know, this is tricky because you are all muscle. We actually need to get a little body fat on you because you're not getting your period. So weight is not always an indicator. This is actually a very important point that that I do want to make that weight is not an indicator of health, right? You could have someone at a completely normal weight, a completely healthy weight that is in a low energy state someone doesn't need to be visually or, you know, on a scale underweight to still be in an energy deficit. Mm -hmm. And something I actually want to mention, which it's a very confusing topic, but we deal with this a lot is sometimes when body is in an energy deficit, I might have an athlete come in and say, well, I've been gaining weight, you know, getting slower, you know, losing muscle. And we look at what they're eating and they will be in an energy deficit. So now you're thinking, well, how are they gaining weight? if they're in a low energy state, right? If they're not eating enough calories, why would they be gaining weight, right? That seems like a logical thing to think about. So when you think about the body, if a body is not getting enough nutrition, what can happen? This doesn't happen in everybody. Again, this goes back to the fact that all of our bodies are a little bit different. There's some individuals, we say they have what we call survivor genes. So basically what that means is someone that's in an energy deficit It's going to slow that metabolism way the heck down because it's sensing starvation. And then what the body does is it actually starts storing energy more as fat as a protective mechanism of the body. So there's a physician, Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani, who's absolutely incredible. She always talks about the caveman brain mm-hmm. and the body sensed it was in a time of famine, right? What's it going to do? It's going to build more fat in order to protect you. Your body's always trying to protect you. So a lot of times in those cases, I actually have to significantly increase someone's calories and they actually end up losing weight then because <laughs> their their metabolism's working again. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Think about an iPhone, right? Low power mode. It slows everything down. Right when you plug it in, you get more juice. Everything speeds up again. Right? I love analogies. If you couldn't tell. <laughs> <Got it. laughs> so, do you have
0: any tools for listeners who don't have a nutritionist?
1: I think number one is is knowing where to go for reputable information. There's so much we're just bombarded with it. So I do think that you know what's an important thing to know is when you are you know searching on the internet, you want to make sure that if you're looking for nutrition information that. It's coming from websites that have like a .gov or a .edu on the end of them. So those websites are likely going to be more reputable. And I think when you're looking to a nutrition professional, whether it's just, you know, online, whether you're reading someone's blog or following someone's social media account, there's a lot of really phenomenal, very reputable accounts out there. You want to be looking for someone who's a registered dietitian. So you want to be looking for those letters RD, after someone's name, because this is actually another important point to make. There's a lot of people out there that call themselves, you know, just a nutritionist or a certified nutrition counselor. Those are not real things. I'm just going to say it. Uh, (laughs) Registered, (laughs) controversy. Registered dietitians, we are people that went through, um, I went to school at NYU. I did a year at Wild Cornell and uh, Columbia Presbyterian Medical Centers. And so I did a lot of schooling and MS in clinical nutrition to give the recommendations that I give. So anyone who's a registered dietitian has gone through an extensive amount of schooling that involves all the sciences, right? And, and I've heard people say that, oh, well, I don't want to be a clinical dietitian because I don't I don't want to work in a hospital. But my response is always, well, nutrition in itself is a science, it's clinical. You know, if you haven't taken the the organic chemistry and the biochemistry, yes, we take all of those. You know, I don't know how you could be giving someone nutrition advice. So I really encourage people to make sure when they're reading an article, when they're following someone's account, that they're really looking for someone who's a registered dietitian. Yeah, that's really important. Great.
0: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure.
0: Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye, Elizabeth. Thank you. Thank you so much to Laura for being here to talk nutrition. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And thanks to Sufferfest for supporting the program. If you have comments or suggestions, call our hotline at 725 b badass. That's 725-222-3277. Our design is by Agnes Studio and music by the band Goldmines. Till next time,
1: bye-bye. You know, it's more important to figure out how do nutrition habits fit into your life and allow you to still enjoy food and enjoy social situations and not feel deprived.
2: Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go.